You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, I felt like I was almost back. And uh, man, I've been gone for two weeks, if you haven't noticed. Um, but man, we had a great time, and so I want to take just a moment to tell you about kind of where we were. Um, was able to spend the last two Sundays uh, on what we call the Buffalo uh, River Trip, and this is for dads and granddads and daughters and granddaughters, uh, sons and grandsons, and to go all the way up to Arkansas uh, to the Buffalo National Forest down the Buffalo River for Five days, four nights. You get some incredible campsites along the river. You'll eat like kings and queens for breakfast and supper. They're absolutely great. You'll see some sights that maybe you've never seen before. The beauty is just breathtaking. And uh, it's just a great chance. Paul's been known to start a water fight or two uh, to help cool you down. Uh, That's Paul. And uh, just making some great memories and getting to meet other Uh, dads and granddads uh, and their families, and just making some lifetime uh, memories. So mark your calendars for the 1st of June next year, and we're going to make sure these trips happen. In fact, uh, the last trip we were on was Paul's 40th trip, and I don't know how many years that makes, Paul, but it's a bunch, and uh, he does a wonderful job of preparing that trip, Uh, and man, that's one of his sons and uh, grandsons and Man, it's just a great opportunity. So we'd hope to see you on those trips uh, next uh, June. So this morning, I want to invite you back to the book of Esther for one final time. It's hard to believe seven weeks ago, we started walking through this book on Mother's Day. And here we will conclude it on uh, Father's Day. And we talked about from the beginning, this book is exciting. It's got an intriguing plot. It's got interesting characters. There is suspense and there are twists and turns all throughout this book. But one of the most interesting things is it's actually what's not in the book. It is the only book out of the 66 that you have in your Bibles that does not mention the name of God. Uh, There's no prophetic word. There's no prayer. There's no visions or dreams. There's no temple, no worship. And there is no miracle. But what you see is that even though he is not mentioned by name, Uh, God's fingerprint, his handprint is directing every minute detail for one main purpose, and that is to save his people. And so this week, we're going to go to the final chapter, and it's not a long one. We only have three verses today, but here's what we'll see. That God delights in making nobodies somebody. God delights in lifting up and making nobodies somebody. In fact, everybody in here and everyone listening online, including myself, we're literally nobodies. When you think about in our small little circles, our little spheres of influence, in the gist of the world, we are virtually unknown. But we'll see today that this is actually a great thing. And In fact, I did not get permission to share this, so I'll ask forgiveness later. I saw this uh, with my own ears, actually, uh, heard it. Uh, really come to life. And it was actually on the Buffalo River trip. Uh, each evening, a, a dad, a granddad will share a thought from God's Word. And uh, this year, somebody asked Paul to share his 
testimony. And if you've never heard it, it is powerful, it's moving. And uh, he talked about growing up and uh, living far from God. But there were people in his life, and he worked at this little cafe uh, and washed dishes, if I believe that's right, Paul. And there was a woman there that made pies that they called Granny. He said she was really old, you know, probably like in her 40s. And uh, she, but she talked about Jesus constantly. In fact, Paul said, he'd just get on your nerves. So one day she pulled him aside and was talking with him and shared the gospel with him again. And uh, he just told her, Granny, will you stop? I don't want to hear that. And she said, Paul, I tell you that because I love you. And he'll talk about how powerful that moment was in his life from pie-making grannies. Well, then he also had a friend in high school. He said everybody avoided like the plague named Clyde because all he would talk about is Jesus, that he lived a rough life, came to faith, and he wanted everybody to know. He said when they saw him coming, you would go the opposite direction. But you know, granny-making or pie-making granny and Clyde, they're nobody to us. But to Paul... There are somebodies because God delights in lifting up nobodies like you and me to be somebodies. So let me kind of recap where we've been over the last seven weeks. All the way back in chapter one, it's the mid-fourth century BC. There's a king named Asherus or Xerxes, and he is king of the largest empire in the world, the Persians reaching all the way from India to Ethiopia. And he throws a party like you could never imagine that says lasted 180 days for six months. He did this to display his greatness and his riches. Well, that wasn't enough, so there was an after party that lasted seven days. And During this time, the wine is flowing, and he gets the great idea to parade his wife in front of his uh, banquet guest. Well, Vashti refuses. This insults the king, so he has her stripped of her crown, and she's banished from the kingdom. In chapter 2, we see a lonely and sad king. So some people had the bright idea, hey, let's kind of bring all the ladies from the empire, all 129 provinces, let's bring them in, and uh, let's have a parade, a contest, to see who's going to be the next queen. And that's where we met Esther who's chosen to be the queen, but no one other than her cousin Mordecai knows that she's a Jew. Tells her to keep it under wraps. Tells her to keep her identity a secret. Well, in the meantime, Mordecai is passing through town and he overhears a plot of two men to assassinate the king. So he makes this known. King's life is spared and you don't hear about that again. Well, in chapter three, we meet the protagonist, Haman second in charge of the kingdom. And him, Haman and Mordecai don't really get along. In fact, Haman despises Mordecai. Every time he sees him, he says he is filled with rage. So it isn't enough to get rid of Mordecai. He sets out to kill all the Jews, and he gets the king to sign off on it. The word is sent out as the Jews are preparing for Passover that their death is soon to happen. Well, in chapter 4, Mordecai hears about this plan and he puts on sackcloth and, and ashes and he goes throughout the city weeping and mourning for his people. And he goes all the way to the king's gate. 
But he doesn't go any further because remember the king won't allow any kind of bad news. He doesn't want to be bothered. So Esther hears about it. But she has no idea what's going on. Sends word back and forth. Well, finally, Mordecai says, Esther, go before the king. And he says, plead for your people. Make your identity known. It is now time. But she says, you don't understand. Nobody can just walk into the king unannounced and interrupt him. He says, perhaps you are a queen for such a time as this. So she calls for a three-day fast to prepare for this. At the end of that time, we see where she finally says, and she agrees, and she says, Mordecai, I will do as you've asked. And if I perish, I perish. Well, it builds all the way to chapter 5 where the tension is thick. She puts on the royal robe and she goes and she stands at the entrance to the inner court. At the other end of the room sits the king surrounded by his guards and Esther approaches, putting her life and the life of her people on the line. And in that moment, Xerxes extends the golden scepter to show his approval. But he can notice probably even the countenance on her face that something isn't right. And he asks her, what can I do for you? Even up to half of my kingdom. And she says, I'll tell you what. I have prepared a banquet for you and Haman. Will you come tonight? Well, sure. She says, then I will tell you. Well, Haman and Mordecai are going to the event. But on his way home, Mordecai runs into his arch nemesis, Mordecai. And at this point, all that he has, all joy is lost. He says, all of life is meaningless. Everything I have, it means nothing because of Mordecai. So his wife and his friends say, well, you know what you should do? Build a gallows, 75 feet high in the air in the morning, kill Mordecai, and then go and enjoy the second banquet. Well, in chapter 6, as the gallows are being built that night, the king can't sleep. No chamomile in the land, so what does he do? He has the Chronicles, the book of Chronicles, brought to him in red to help put him to sleep. Well, as they're reading, all of a sudden he hears about this plot to kill him. And that gets his attention. So he asks him, what was done for this man that discovered this? Has he ever been rewarded? And they said, no. So he says, who's, who's still in the court? And they said, well, Haman. Well, bring him in. So he asked Haman this. Haman, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Well, Haman, being full of pride and arrogance, he thinks the king's talking about him. He says, I'll tell you exactly what you do. You take one of your royal robes, one of your royal horses, give him a crown, and let's have a parade through the city. The king says, great idea. Go and get Mordecai and do just what you have said. Well, in chapter 7, it's now time for the queen's second private banquet with the king and Haman. During that time, she says to the king, my life and the life of my people are in danger. He says, well, who? Who has done this? And She says in her presence, it's the wicked Haman. And Haman is terrified, and he is actually then hung on the very gallows he had built for Mordecai. Well, in chapter 8, you saw last week, Esther is given all that Haman owns, and Mordecai is put in charge of his house. 
Esther falls down and weeps at the king's feet and asks him to stop this plot to kill her people. And the king grants her request. Well, then in chapter 9, all those that were set to kill the Jews had the very same thing done to them. And all their enemies are once again destroyed. Mordecai then set in motion a special day of Purim, of, of celebration, of remembering this deliverance. And it said that Mordecai then gained more and more of the king's respect. And so then we are faced with Esther 10. Let me read these three verses. It says, King Asherus, or Xerxes, he imposed a tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea throughout the entire kingdom. And all the acts of his power and might and the full account of of the high honor of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him. Are, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles and the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in command in rank to the king Asherah. For he was great among the Jews, popular with the multitude of his brothers. For he sought the welfare of his people. And he spoke peace to all so notice four things about Mordecai that this book leaves us with. First of all, he is now second in command. Only to the king holds more power. It says he became great among his fellow Jews. They respected him. He became popular among the Persians. And he sought the welfare and peace of his people. And that's where the book leaves us. What we're seeing is God actually delights in lifting up nobodies to be somebodies. So here's what I want to do. I want to make kind of one big general observation about this entire book and then conclude once again with that main point. Well, here's the thing that I see as I'm reading through this book about the Jews. They do experience relief, but it's not final. I mean, Mordecai, he is second in command but the Jews, they're still in Persia, and they are still under the rule of a pagan king. Xerxes is still their ruler. But Mordecai can speak up for his people, and this is great news, but it's not yet the greatest news. Because you know what's going to happen? It's not long that somebody else is going to come to the scene named Alexander the Great. He's going to lead the Greeks to conquer the Persians. And then it's not going to take long that Rome will then conquer Greece and the Jews will then be living even under a more evil empire. So what I see is that Esther and her people, yes, they have temporary relief, but new enemies are coming. And they're going to keep coming. But one day, there will come a king. And he will be the best of kings. He won't be born in a palace. He'll be born in a small town called Bethlehem. And this king, he's not going to throw a party to show his greatness and his riches. He's going to be a king that embodies the virtues of justice and righteousness. He's not going to be a king that hides himself and, and uh, protects himself from bad news and the hardships of people. But he will defend the poor. He will give deliverance to the oppressed. And he will bring peace to the afflicted. 
But the greatest thing that this king will do is that he will offer deliverance from the greatest enemy the world has ever seen. He will deliver them from sin. And a king named Jesus, he will be born, he will live, he will die, and he will be raised back to life. And that is our hope, that one day there is coming a true king. He will return and he will claim his throne in the days of the greatest evil empire will end. That we will finally get to realize the truth of Revelation eleven fifteen, For the angels, They will finally cry out at last, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He will reign forever and ever. That the enemies will finally be defeated. Meaning all earthly trouble, all financial pressures, all emotional trauma, all physical and mental disabilities, all diseases, all viruses, all domestic conflicts, all racism, all demonic oppressions, all satanic attacks, all of this will end and we will be with him that wins. But now back to the main idea. When I read through this book, the thing we see about Esther is you see that even though God is not mentioned, he is controlling every minute detail, that he is in charge of her when, her where, in her what, for such a time as this. That there is nothing by accident, there is nothing left to fate. Because all of, for her and for us, are where we are for a time such as this. Because God delights in lifting up nobodies to be somebodies. And you see him doing this over and over again. That God used a nobody named Moses placed in a basket in the Nile River that will grow up under the house of Pharaoh to deliver the Jews from slavery. God's going to use a nobody named Joseph who will be sold into slavery by his brothers that will turn out to be their deliverer. He used a nobody named David who was a simple shepherd to be the king of his people. He's going to use a nobody by the name of Rahab who was a harlot that will hide some spies that will lead to the fall of Jericho and the taking and conquering of the promised land. God is going to use a nobody named Peter, a simple fisherman that will end up being the spokesperson for the early church. And we see that God used a Jewish lady living in Persia that will become queen and ultimately save her people. Because over and over you see that God delights in lifting up nobodies to be somebodies. So I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about your faith journey. There are probably people that to most people in the world are absolutely nobodies. But to you, there are somebodies. You know, I don't have a pie-making granny, and I don't have a Clyde. But I do have a Jim and Gladys Young. I have a Tommy Dyer. I have a Jeff Stanley. I have a Steve Butler. To most people, they're nobodies. 
but they are somebody to me because God used them in my life. So who are your nobodies that God lifted up to be somebody? And I've been thinking about my kids. I wonder who there are nobodies that God's going to use to be somebodies in their life. And I pray that many of them will be in this room. This morning we had little bitty Alexis and even little bitty Hillel running around in here. Who's going to be there somebody? We have Caleb and Hannah. Who's going to be there somebody? So think about who God is going to place in your life, who your life will intersect with, that one day they're going to be telling a story about a nobody that became a somebody that God used in their life. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.